Hey y'all, it's your host here, Cameron Davis-Thompson of In My Shoes. Just wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit before we start today's episode. First, you may hear a little bit of background noise. Um, Today, we uh, did an interview with three um, women of color educators from different states, Florida, Georgia, and Maryland, to talk about, um, you know, just what the state of education and starting the school year looked like for them uh, with everything that's going on with the pandemic and just to hear what uh, some of our uh, educators of color had to say. And so I decided to run this one today um, as the end of season one. I know we were supposed to do a celebration one and I have that one and I'll do that one as a bonus one that I will post maybe this weekend or on Monday. But this was such a timely conversation um, and they had so uh, much to say that I really didn't want to hold it. And so um, we're going to listen to that today. And uh, I will bring you the one where we talk about what we're going to be doing in season two as a bonus episode uh, in the coming days. If you hear some background noise on this one, um, the conversation is really great and it won't uh, deter you from hearing it. But one of the uh, people that we spoke to today is my goddaughter and she has a five-year-old and my baby girl felt like she wanted to say a few things. So you may hear her in the background a little bit um, and just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, because she's five and this is quarantine life and my baby is a single mom and so she did the interview uh, boldly and had great things to say but if you hear a baby girl in the background pay her no mind so with that let's get started hello hello and welcome to in my shoes it's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues that we're facing on a daily basis i am your host karen davis thompson and today i have three ladies with me all educators and we're going to talk a little bit about um, you know, the women of color educators perspective about what's been going on with COVID-19, going back into the schools, how they feel about that. Um, they're all from different states, so we'll get a perspective from various areas. And so I have Aisha, Trinity, and Terry with me today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and then we'll get into a few questions. So Aisha, why don't you start? Tell everybody hello and tell them a little bit about yourself. Hello, hello. I am Aisha. I'm from the Florida area, Tampa, Florida area. Um, I am a resource teacher and I service um, various schools. I service 13 schools currently, uh, going into those schools, working with the teachers, supporting them with the needs of their students as far as gifted education, identification, uh, enrichment. I work with the administrators at each of those schools. So that is what I do. Thank you so much. And Trinity, why don't you tell everybody hello and a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Trinity. Um, I currently am in Maryland, in the Maryland area. Um, I teach in Baltimore City at an elementary middle school. Um, This year, I'm teaching pre-K, but for the past few years, I've taught kindergarten. And actually, my first year, I taught second grade. So I'm an early childhood educator um, in Baltimore City. Thank you so much, Trinity and Terry. How about you? Hello, uh, I teach English. This year I have 10th grade and one ninth grade class, and I teach in Rockdale County, which is the Conyers area of Georgia. And I teach uh, English and reading enrichment, which would be to help the students learn those extra reading skills and to work with their reading deficiencies. All right. Thank you so much. And as I said, I wanted to have this conversation because, you know, there are so many different ways that areas are handling this here in the Tampa, Florida area where Aisha and I both are. um, There was a strong push to go back to school, a brick and mortar, as they're calling it, no matter what, no matter the COVID rate, 
no matter what else was going on, people were adamant about returning to school. And so was our governor, so much so that here in Florida, uh, they had a mandate that if you did not offer brick and mortar, you would lose uh, state funding. And actually, the State Teachers Association took them to court recently, and that was found by a Florida judge to be unconstitutional. So as of the recording of this, that was they did strike that down. But by the time that happened, most schools had already started. So um, it's yet to be seen what that's going to do. And so I just wanted to see what other areas are doing. And so, Terry, I'll start with you. In your area, I believe you're there in Georgia, what um, is the sentiment as it relates to getting back to school and what are you all doing there? Well, Georgia, our school districts are based upon where you live. So some are county, some are city. Um, and I live in a, well, I work in a school district and live in a school district where it's run by the county. So every superintendent gets to make their decision on their own. And my superintendent, uh, Dr. Terry Oates, has been truly amazing. His biggest push has been about the health and wellness of his teachers and to make sure that we are able to have what we need mentally and physically. And he didn't want us to feel compelled to make a decision between our jobs and our life. And because of that, Rockdale County is 100% virtual until December. And that is subject to audit because in December, if the COVID rates are still not going down in Georgia, Georgia is vastly and quickly becoming the new Florida in terms of COVID rates. Um, he said, we're not going back. He's been really good in that respect. Some of the other counties here have kind of taken the push from their sister counties, the ones that are closer to them, because I do live about 35, 40 minutes from downtown Metro Atlanta. I don't have that kind of push, but those that have taken the um, pushback have said, oh, well, we'll do the first four weeks or we'll do the first um, nine weeks of school online or a combination of we'll, we'll hybrid after three weeks or hybrid after four weeks because we want to make sure that um, kids still have the opportunity to attend a brick and mortar. But for the most part, um, it's been between four and nine weeks of everyone is going to be totally virtual. Um, Trinity, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the school district where you are teaching? What is the sentiment and what has the uh, school district decided to do? Okay, um, so again, I'm in Maryland and our situation is pretty similar. So for us, my superintendent of Baltimore City Public Schools, she has decided that we will be completely virtual, but until October the 16th. Um, now, I don't know if October the 16th is the date where we will actually go back or whether that's the date that they'll revisit and look at um, like what's going on and, you know, make next steps. But for right now, we are 100% virtual. Thank you so much. And I just want the listeners to know that's my baby in the background, y'all. Yeah, Trinity is my goddaughter. And she has a five-year-old who has decided she would like to join this interview. So y'all just deal with that. That's my boo. So we just go let her have her way. Um, oh, wait, I'll say one more thing too. Um, oh, sure, go ahead. Sorry. Um, so... I'm a teacher and a mom, so I have two different scenarios that I'm actually going through. My daughter, who is starting kindergarten, um, she will actually, her school is actually going back in person, um, which will be 
a sightseer. Um, she's in private school, so her pri it's a Christian school, and they've decided that um, and have been permitted, I guess, by the governor. So there, she will be starting in person um, on the 31st, and that's in Anne Arundel County. So she's going to school in a different county than I teach. And how do you feel about her going back? And then Aisha, I'll ask you to respond as well, but how do you feel about that? Um, so I do feel like I do feel like she's going to learn a bit better in person. I'll say that um, just because she's so young and the vert, like the attention span on the computer is not, she doesn't have it. I'll just put it that way. She doesn't have the attention span. And I think working in a classroom setting will be better for her. However, I'm still a bit, I don't want to say anxious, but just concerned. I'll put it that way. I'm still a bit concerned because I want to make sure that, they're taking all the necessary measures to keep the kids and the children safe. Um, and that's something that we're going to see this week at our new parent orientation. So they're going to show us the classrooms. They said the class sizes are extremely smaller than that of a public school. So that is going to eliminate a lot of potential stressors. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I'm excited, but I'm also concerned. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm sure that's got to be... Um difficult and that's my baby so we got to make sure she's safe Aisha why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happening uh here in the state of Florida um you know you kind of mentioned in the beginning there that you know we here in the state of Florida our education commissioner he and our governor were bent dead set that we were opening no matter what brick and mortar um that was going to be it and every district had to submit a plan of some kind by a specific deadline. I want to say it was July, end of July. Um, and that plan, though, had to have, had to include brick and mortar, your traditional school building, open five days a week as one of the options. Most of the districts, my district, the neighboring district, a um, couple of the neighboring districts, most of the districts came up with pretty much the same three plans, brick and mortar. Um, one they're calling, basically, I guess you'd consider it a hybrid option where your kid is at home and they're learning virtually, but the virtual is coming from a teacher at their school. Um, and that teacher most likely is sitting in, a in an empty classroom at their school. Um, that way they stayed as connected to their school as possible. And then the third option was your completely virtual option. Most of the districts here have some sort of online option that they've supported for years. In Pasco County, it's called Pasco eSchool. In Hillsborough County, it's called Hillsborough Virtual. Um, and everybody's got that. So our district did that. The neighboring district did that. And uh, there was a lot of pushback from a lot of teachers who were extremely nervous because they knew the truth of the matter was their classes, you know, when Trinity said that her daughter's going to have the small class size, I thought that is definitely not public school because I've got friends who have classes that still have 25, 30 kids. And these are not huge rooms. There's no, there's no way to social distance in those classrooms. Um, and so teachers were very worried for their own safety, for their student safety, and then you had a lot of parents who said, you know, we need the schools to be open. We need them to be open because I've got to get to work and I've got to do this, that and the other. And so it really has become a battle between the two um, parents and, and teachers and staff. Pasco County superintendent said his hands were tied. 
because as you mentioned, because the state was so set on everybody opening, the the basically threat was if you don't open brick and mortar, we are going to withdraw your funding. And that for some of these districts and some of these schools within the districts is huge. Um, now we have some counties here in Florida that have said they can open virtually without having a brick and mortar option, but that's because they have been classified as what they call phase one, meaning their COVID cases are still so high that the state said, okay, you can be virtual. Our district is phase two, um, and a few of the Hillsborough and Pasco both are phase two. So even though we have not had a decrease in COVID cases for a consistent 14 days, which the health department says we're supposed to have, we're still in phase two and the state still says we're going to open. And like you said, the Florida Educators Association, the largest teachers union, the judge sided with the teachers union um, as far as saying it's unconstitutional that the, the state can say, nope, you have to open. But we don't know what that's going to do. So it's become not just political, but a real divisive battle between um, teachers, parents, the state. So it's it's getting ugly down in here down here in Florida. Uh, it absolutely is, girl. Yes, it is. And um, Terry, I see you wanted to comment as well. So first, let me give this amen to Aisha um, with the twenty five in a classroom or more, because I totally understand that. Um, I worked for DeKalb County for four years prior to coming to Rockdale this year. And DeKalb all summer long was basically giving the uh, impression to all the teachers that they were going to go back. And Rockdale called me and inter to interview for a position. And the first question I asked was, how are you going back? The answer was, we're not sure yet. We'll know in the next couple of weeks or we'll know, I'm sorry, we'll know in the next month or so. I asked one question and I made sure that the school understood that a contingency that I had of being employed for Rockdale County School was to know that I was not going to allow a child into my classroom without wearing a mask. Because that was a commitment that I, as a teacher, was willing to make, I bought fabric all summer and I sold enough masks that even right now, if they said today we have to walk back into class, I have enough masks that every child in my class will have a mask to wear when they walk into my class. I have a whole system of how they would have to wear it, put it in a, you know, take it out of a clean bin, throw it in a dirty bin, and they would be washed and worn, and they would all be three layers because this is a very touchy subject. So, you know, to Aisha's point of 25 in a class, oh, I, I want to totally say I agree because I have 25 or more in virtual classrooms. Yeah, and I just don't understand. I see you, Trinity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to comment as well. I just don't understand how they expect social distancing to take place in these small rooms when you're not reducing the class size. Uh, and then you have some parents who feel like the child shouldn't have to wear a mask. Uh, it's just an absolute mess. Uh, Trinity, uh, you and then Aisha, I know you have something you want to add as well. Trinity, go ahead. Let me tag before they hop in. Also, just to prove a point, my bedroom is bigger than the classroom that I have at that school. And they wanted to put 28 discs in there. Oh, God. And it's oh, wow. <laughs> Trinity, go ahead. Okay, I definitely wanted to comment on that because this whole going back into the classroom, 
especially for me in the district that I'm in, I'm just completely against it at this point. Um, however, I, I can see why my, um, the CEO of our um, public school system would want to. So let me say this, I work at, in a Title I school and honestly, the almost I'm pretty sure the majority of, of the schools in our district are Title One. My school is one of many. Just real quick, Trinity, for people who don't know, explain a little bit about what Title One is, just in case somebody doesn't know. Um, so it's like I'll just in layman's terms, it's like one of the poorer schools. We don't have the res- we don't have a lot of resources. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. Just so that people know, it's typically schools where. Um, you know, they don't have all of the resources that some of the other schools might get. And I know that's difficult for people to understand because you think in a public school, you know, everybody gets the same resources and that is not the case. No, um, it's and it's not. Not, it is not distributed evenly. So I just want it for people who may not know. So go ahead. So my school is one of many without air conditioning. Um, so we, anytime we have gone back in the past, our first week of school has always started with early dismissal for at least like the first two weeks because it's incredibly too hot in our building. Um, and there's no air. Our building was built in 1960 and has not been updated or renovated since then. So very, very old. Um, there's no ventilation. So it, it would just be awful. On top of that, I teach pre-K. Um, and I know my five-year-old has issues keeping her mask on for more than an hour. So I can just imagine how four-year-olds would do. They're very touchy. Um, and then on top of that, it's like, the district we work in, like, we can, we can, and I'm just being honest, I feel like a lot of times we barely have funds for PPE. Um, you know, like, I just don't think that we are equipped enough at this point to go back. Um, however, I feel like if we did go back, it would be because, again, of the area that we're in. We're in a very urban, like, impoverished area. A lot of our children experience trauma on a daily basis, whether in the form of child abuse, crime, different things. A lot of our children, the ones that come to our school, that, that's their only meal that they get. So I definitely get why they are kind of pushing it. Um, but I just don't think that it's safe. And I know like me, I have a very low immune system. So I last year I got sick so many times, like I couldn't even count. I completely understand that. And so, Ayesha, you wanted to uh, comment as well? Um, you know, something that the ladies had said, you know, not just about the number of bodies in the classroom, because, you know, um, I'm, it's true that the classrooms, there are bedrooms, you know, as, as Dr. Bell said, that are larger than some of these classrooms, and they're putting all these bodies in there. But the other thing is, um, Trinity mentioned the PPE. I'm seeing friends who are are posting pictures online of the PPE they got from their school. And these are teachers that are going to be in classes of 25, 30 kids. And they got a a pack of wipes, one pack of wipes, um, two masks. And uh, I had a friend that she said they gave her a bottle of some solution. She didn't even know what it was in there. And that's it. And they're supposed to be cleaning down, you know, in between classes if they teach secondary or making sure they're cleaning materials that the kids are using in the elementary grades and things like that. So these teachers are now not only are they tasked, they're teaching their counselors for these kids half the time, but now they're they're also working as pretty much custodians to do all of this extra cleaning and they're not given the proper supplies. 
And so, Terry, I just wanted to, you know, get everybody's uh, take on this. I know in Florida we had a lot of parents who were just totally against uh, the whole online thing. They want these kids to back into school, and it was a large number here. So I'm just curious in other states. So when your superintendent decided, hey, we're going to do this thing virtually at least through December, what was the sentiment of a lot of the parents there? Uh, I work in a small county, and my superintendent lives in the county. Uh, most of the principals live in the county or within one of the cities that may be just on the county line. So it was okay because when he made the decision, he made it very clear. It was not just about the health of the children. It was about the health of their neighbors. Um, at our school district, the the school buses drop off lunches every day. So one of the teachers at my school her house is the bus stop for the lunch drop-off. They do breakfast and lunch, and the sentiment was well-received. Now, on the other side of town, where there are the, the more affluent uh, parents, that was not taken well at all. Um, parents had serious issues, and the number one concern is, I have to go back to work. Um, I'm not equipped to teach my own children. Why do I have to do this? These are This is not my responsibility to teach my children. Um, I can say I've seen community members really rally together. And uh, especially with the smaller kids, parents are dropping their kids off because they, you know, single some single parents have to go to work. I've seen them drop their kids off at a neighbor's house or uh, a, a former coworker or girlfriend or someone who has turned their garage into a mini learning school and it is a place where they can go. The kids have a lunch, you know, your children are safe. Um, I've seen some great opportunities come with that, but as a whole in Brockdale County, everyone was like, okay, thank you. But it was the, the more affluent uh, counties that did not appreciate it, did not approve it. And now have more than 290 cases on record. I think that was the concern here in Florida. So it's, um, you know, it remains to be seen how it's going to pan out as some of them are just starting this week. Uh, and Trinity, how about where you are? Were most of the parents supportive of the decision or did you have a lot of people who felt like, hey, I need, you know, my child to be back brick and mortar? Um, so it was, honestly, it was half and half. So there were the parents who knew that they couldn't really afford like the food and things of that nature. Most of them were were pro sending them back to brick and mortar. Um, so it's like the parents that were in need and, and are lacking resources, they wanted their children to go back so that they could at least get what they needed for part of the day. Um, now, the other half of them were, yeah, like the population where um, families had stay-at-home moms and things of that nature, they were more so, oh, let's go virtual. Um, but I think it was like an even split. Um, and I'll say for my daughter's private school, I definitely was, I definitely um, was pro-virtual, but then um, we got news that that wasn't even an option for them. All, all the children in the early childhood years don't have a choice. They have to go back um, brick and mortar while first grade and up, they do have an option for virtual. Thank you so much for that. And I'm just curious how, um, it, it, let's say all of you had to go back into the classroom right now. The choice was, okay, starting next week, whatever, we're all going back brick and mortar. 
what would be your biggest concern about having um, to do that? Uh, and, and, and would you be willing, willing to do it if you, you know, hypothetically, if this is what you had to do, uh, Terry, I'll let you start. If I had to go back today, um, first and foremost, like I said, it was a contingency for me to accept the position that I accepted that I could put it in my syllabus that the children would have to wear a mask in my class. Um, so that would be a first thing. That would be a mandatory. Um, second, because I was not sure and my life was somewhat in limbo, um, over the summer, I bought enough cleaning supplies, disinfectant wipes. I've made friends with managers, uh, at Target <laughs> and I have enough hospital grade disinfectant wipes that I can clean between every class, every day, every student gets to clean every desk every day for at least from now through Thanksgiving safely in my head. And then I have five more gallons of concentrated uh, disinfectant wipe. I've also made hand sanitizer. So I have about six months worth of hand sanitizer. I'm very proactive because these are the things that I was doing before this pandemic. My biggest concern would be that one parent that says, oh, my child is not going to do it because I don't feel that's fair and that's against my rights. And I'm waiting for that parent because I'm going to explain to that parent quite nicely. You have every right for your child to be sick somewhere else, but you do not have the right to endanger my life or the lives of the other children that I'm responsible for. My principal has already said, no problem. You know, welcome to the family. And I, it, it makes me feel a lot safer. Thank you so much for that. And Aisha, how about you, especially in your position since you are traveling to multiple sites? Uh, how would it make you feel if you if, if you were told, hey, you got to go back and, you know, social distancing for you when you're working at various schools where the rules may be different? Uh, how would you feel if, if that was something you had to do? Because I know, I, I don't know, are you guys virtual for the week or have you already started going back? Um, we are not virtual. Um, you know, we are part of the hybrid, so, or the, the option plan. So some are virtual, some are not. Um, can I just start by saying, uh, to Terry, when you said that you were ready to tell that parent your child has every right to be sick somewhere else, I literally threw my hands up. Can I give you an amen, a preach on? Because that is, thank you. That is so true and you are so right. So thank you. Um, so as far as we go, if I were told that I had to be in the building and I was told that I was going to have to be in every one of my 13 schools, I told them no. Um, I am someone who has medical concerns and medical issues that put me at risk. Um, I have a member of the family that they would be medically at risk. So it was no, um, because as you said, you know, I go into 13 different schools. I go into some of the most affluent and some of the most needy schools. I cannot, there is no way to guarantee what protections, what supplies, what um, preparation each school is doing from one to the next. So I couldn't take that chance for me, for my family. Um, and not to mention too, I kind of felt almost a duty to say I need to stay away because when I go into those schools, I'm now one more body that somebody else has to disinfect after. I'm now one more person that could potentially be carrying something um, could be asymptomatic, and I don't know it, you don't know it. I travel to three schools in one day, 
oh my goodness, you know, who have I come in contact with? Was I within six feet of them? Whatever the case may be. I also don't know at every school how seriously, even as the adults are taking it. So I can't make those guarantees for what the safety precautions are. So no, if they told me I had to come in today, the answer is no, no, thank you. It's been nice working with you. Um, so that's kind of where I am. Thank you so much. And Trinity, how about you? How would you feel if you were told, hey, starting Monday, we're brick and mortar all the way? Um, I honestly would be a bit anxious about it. Um, because again, like we don't have air conditioning. It's going to be hard to wear masks in the heat, at least for the summer portion of the school year. Um, it's going to be hard to keep all these children away from each other because again, they're they're four and five years old. So I would be anxious about it. However, this is my only form of employment. Um, and so it's not like I'm getting another paycheck from somewhere. So I honestly would have no choice but to go back because I need the money. Um, yeah, that's where I am. I And and I've had this talk with my coworkers, like we're complaining and um, we really don't want to go back. But at the end of the day, like, this is a job that pays my bills. So I would have to go back. I feel you on that one, girl. I know it's sometimes it's a very difficult decision. And, and Terry, I see you and Aisha want to get in on that. Um, you know, but it's, it's very hard when your, your, your choices are, you know, you don't pay your bills or you go into a situation where you're not comfortable and where, you know, you already have a compromised immune system or you're around people that do, and you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. And so uh, Terry, you first, and then Aisha, you can go. First off, I totally understand. Um, I will say this as someone who's married to an essential worker. My husband works for Georgia Pacific and they make toilet paper and paper towels. So clearly his whole employment is essential. Um, I understand the rock and the hard space. But I will say this to anyone who's listening to the podcast as a whole, that one thing I can tell you, we as black women are the most resilient women I've ever met in my life. We will make something out of nothing um, and do the most. I'm a licensed nail tech, and I know that if I stop teaching today, uh, I could literally go back to being a nail tech and make more money being a nail tech full time than I make teaching. Thank you so much, Terry. Aisha, you wanted to respond as well? It's true. It's one of those things that's just so unfair right now. It feels like the districts know that there are so many people in, you know, the situation like Trinity described, where you are the sole breadwinner. You have to go to work because your family is everything and you're going to put food on the table for them. And so the districts, it feels like some of them, I, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them know these teachers will show up. We have to really work to take the control back from these districts to say, no, you're not going to put us at risk because we are worth more than what you're giving us. Um, so, I mean, I feel that completely. And I know a lot of our parents are in situations like that where they say, you know, I have to work and our teachers, I have to work, but we also have to live too. Um, and as we get ready to wrap up, this has been a wonderful conversation and it's so interesting how uh, different it is from place to place. I think we've established Florida. Oh my Lord, we got some serious issues down here in Florida. Uh, but 
Um, I just wanted to to talk a little bit about how your school districts are dealing with kids who, you know, I know a lot of people think that in 2020, everybody has access to the internet and laptops and et cetera. How are they working with kids who are in those low income areas where maybe they don't have as much access uh, to technology? Trinity, I'll let you go first. Um, I, I actually am very proud of what my district has been doing. So first, we have handed out hotspots um, to our families. Um, we made them available. Of course, the families had to go get them. But um, we had about 7,000 hotspots to hand out. So parents were able to get those. We also handed out Chromebooks to each individual student. And that's even if a family had multiples, um, multiple students in their household. So each and every student in our district got a Chromebook. Each and every household got a um, a hotspot. Um, and even as far as food, we have food sites. So over the summer, the children have been able to go to um, selected schools to get breakfast and lunch. Um, and they will also have that option when school starts in September. They'll be able to pick up breakfast and lunch, actually, I think, for two days at a time. Um, which is awesome, and they've offered grocery pickup. They've they've been really good with that. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Terry, how about where you are? How are they handling that for the kids who don't have access to some of that technology? Um, Rockdale County, every student, we are one-to-one. Every student, every teacher, if you are affiliated with Rockdale County at this point, everyone gets a Dell laptop. we chose against Chromebooks because Chromebooks have a lot of issues and they have historically had a lot of issues. So our district chose against Chromebooks and um, works with Dell. So we everyone gets a Dell. And then students are asked, it is part of your yearly check into the school system when you do all of your beginning paperwork, if you have technology access. And... Any parent that says no, they're not necessarily pulled to the side, but it is noted and they are either mailed or called in to get uh, a Wi-Fi hotspot that is given to them and they get one hotspot per child or um, in some of the, and that happens a lot in apartment complexes, but in some of the other cases, they're given a voucher through one of the wireless companies i want to say like a cable company that does internet here that works in that area um to actually have their internet provided at at a very discounted rate i want to say it may cost the actual uh, parent maybe five dollars a month so it's something very 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 minimal um that is a deal a grant that the county has worked out as well as i mentioned earlier the bus stops we are doing the bunch, the buses for the lunches. You get your lunch every day. You get your breakfast every two days. So um, breakfast comes every two days, but they still have a lunch bus that runs every day, just like the regular bus route. So and students have the option to um, buy into that. If Our parents have the option to buy into that if they weren't on the free and reduced lunch list. Got it. Okay. And Aisha? I already know the answer to this one, but what are we doing in Florida over here in the counties uh, near you? (laughs) You got me laughing. Um, So I will say that in the spring, I think they were handling it better than they are now just because it was everybody that was virtual. In the spring, 
Um, everybody got a device. You could go to your school and check out a device if you needed one. And there were um, Wi-Fi hotspots in some of our more rural areas. Uh, fast forward to now, if you needed a device and you were choosing to do the online schooling, you could still go to your school. You could still check out a device, which was great. Um, there's been no word about those Wi-Fi hotspots, though. So if you were struggling with Wi-Fi in the spring, there's not necessarily help for you now. Um, and as far as food goes, in the summer, it was great. There was, in, in many of the counties around here, you could go, um, I think it was two days a week, to a specific school, and you could pick up, they would give you basically lunches and snacks for the kids for an entire week. They give it to you all at once. I mean, every milk, every juice, peanut butter and jelly, whatever, um, for the entire week. Because we are open with brick and mortar, they are not doing that now. We still have free breakfast and we still have free lunches for students, but only the ones that are attending brick and mortar. So if you are online, you don't necessarily get that. And I do know even, you know, during the, when everybody had to go, you know, they were giving people laptops that were at the school and some of them were, you know, old and not necessarily, you know, as up to snuff as they needed to be. So um, I just feel sometimes like Florida's got a lot of answering to do. I don't know why uh, it is that way here in Florida, but I don't know if that was the case in Pasco County, but I know in Hillsborough, you know, they were giving out laptops that the schools had and some of them were, I mean, ancient. I don't know if that was the, the case there. Ayesha, you wanted to respond to that? They, um, a lot of the, the laptops were the more updated MacBooks, um, which is nice, but they, there were some, some of the more rural ones that were struggling to get the MacBooks. And so, yeah, they had some, uh, laptops that were a little bit older. Um, one of the biggest problems that they ran into though, was then not everybody returned the device at the end of the summer. So they had to go track some of those down, which made it for this, for the fall, even harder because now they have kids in the schools that need the devices and they had to have devices to send to, to students who were doing the online learning. But for the most part, we were fortunate that everybody was able to get um, a MacBook uh, if they needed it. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I don't think we had MacBooks here in Hillsborough County, but they, they may do. Um, so thank you ladies so much for this conversation. I just really wanted to get, you know, the black educators view, see what was going on in different counties as some of us uh, get ready to start the school year. Um, so this has been a wonderful discussion to have. I uh, just hope it gets people talking and, and really thinking about what we're asking, you know, teachers, administrators, cafeteria workers, bus drivers to do as we push for brick and mortar in places where maybe we're not quite ready for that yet. Uh, so again, ladies, I appreciate you for your time. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about here on In My Shoes, you can hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Again, that's KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. That is all the time we have for today. So until we get a chance to meet again, be blessed.